Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is one of those episodes where I watched the whole thing. I was like, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? And then I, all of a sudden I remembered something from earlier in the episode that I had forgotten about, which was like a topic that I love to talk about. Not, I mean, um, which is topics related to entering into a church or a monastery or, you know, associated, associated, uh, areas you should instead of texting me the topic you should just text we should get everybody's cell phone number so that everybody has the privilege of receiving a text entering a monastery without having any context as to like what that has to do with right and then you then you remember that you teach a class together and that it might be that that's the topic that you want to teach right right this is important to understand for everyone that um the way we come up with what we're going to talk about is i watch the episode and then i text something like entering a monastery and then that's the, that's the random. <laughs> that's the topic um, that we that we end up going with. So so um, it's something that I have found, I guess, interesting, especially like I, I don't know if it's different in Los Angeles, but like in New Orleans, very very frequently, um, like a default space that's used for meetings or for like clergy meetings or other related things or like churches, and. I don't go into churches. And so that makes things complicated um, because like, you know, like the, uh, the clergy council where I am here in Jefferson parish, which is like the suburb of New Orleans um, for like months when I first came here, they were, I was always like, okay, we're going to meet in this church. And, and I was like, okay, I'm just, I guess I'm not going to come. Um, and uh, yeah. So, so I wanted to talk about, and I think this is, it's always good when there's an area where there's probably disagreement between my shots and myself. I don't know if we've ever talked about this topic to each other, have we? I guess we have. Um, but the topic of entering into churches um, is Karen, the, uh, what's his name? The, the, the poet, the poet. Azaria. Azaria. Azaria is like, keeps being at these, this poetry reading thing in like a monastery, right? Where they're like, to be really fair. Poetry. My response to that text message was, "No one's going to remember this moment of the episode, but it will be a very." I had it either until I thought back on the episode, and I was like, oh, "I just want right. I just want everybody to be clear as to how this is playing out in real yeah, life." Yeah, yeah, but it was, I felt like it was the best. It's like a good topic because um, it's really the only it, topic. There's not really much of a topic otherwise. But it's also a good one because it's one we haven't discussed, and it's also I think like a really interesting one that people don't know, which is always the best topics. I feel like. Mm-hmm. like things that people don't realize are are, are like things um mm-hmm. for azari it's clearly not so much of a thing because he's like in there with his keeper listening to people read mm-hmm. poems in chinese but like halakhically it is a problem it is an issue um right everyone everyone forgot so i when i brought sources on this but it basically comes from the the idea comes from the talmud in um in masechet avoda zara um, tractate, you know, the tractate, which is largely about, you know, foreign worship and and specifically talking about, you know, okay, you're not allowed to do foreign worship, as it were, and I'll just call it that for the moment. But what about, you know, going near places where there is foreign worship being done or where there's an idol and so forth? And the general idea is like, you need to stay away. You need to stay away at least four amots, which is like seven feet or so. 
um, that from like that place where this is happening, but even more so, you can't go on a road that is clearly like heading. There's only one place that it leads to, which is like a place of of Odizara, of um, of foreign worship, and so forth. So this is sort of what comes up in in the Talmud, and then later on, right? This was sort of like not so much of a conversation for most of Jewish history because typically we were pretty oppressed in places that. Right, we did much better in Arab lands than we did in Christian lands historically, um, and so like no one was like voluntarily going into a church. Um, they might be going to a church because they were pretending to be Christian so as to not get killed, but that's a different story. So this really is something that comes up much more in recent history, um, both in the land of Israel and in America, whether it's related to art or like in Israel, you know, you're going on a tour of Israel. They want to take you to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or whatever, you know, these kinds of things. Um, the question of it seems like a convent, says Barbara. Am, am I, I forget what it said on the it's, it said something on the on the top. Um so, right, so Jews are with secret services in the church. So all, right, all of these are, like, good questions and good things to raise because, you know, right, so one thing that does come up early, I think the earliest source, I'm just going to pull up. This actually isn't my source sheet. It's from my, head of my rabbinical school, um, uh, Rabbi Linzer. It's a, a long source sheet, but I'm just going to, we're going to jump past the mosques and right into the churches. Um and so these are like the earlier sources but um you want to maybe say why you're passing the mosques we're passing mosques because they don't go into a mosque in the episode um but also because i mean mosques are are also generally seen as not not having the same problem because for one thing there's no iconography which is one big issue in churches and also there's a debate about whether Christianity falls under this category of Avodah Zara, of, let's say, foreign worship, um, which, by the way, I think something that the Torah differentiates between, and we in, like, common lingo don't, um, Avodah Zara means foreign worship, which is actually related to worshiping God, but in a foreign manner. Right. It also says in the Ten Commandments, you should, you know, Lo Elohim Elohim You shouldn't have other gods. So that is actually a different prohibition. There's one prohibition against having foreign, having additional gods, and separately there's a prohibition against Avodazara about of trying to worship God, but in a foreign manner. Um, and that's where Christianity is a problem. Um, so, so in, in some of the sources, like the later sources, so the first one from the rush, who's early, he's 13th century, you know, talks about if you went into this place for safety, you know, you ran into a fortified church, um, like save yourself. He says like, that's fine. You're not going for like spiritual salvation. You're going for physical salvation. Like, you, you know, um, that's not a problem. But when it comes to the later sources of people who are just sort of of their own volition going because they're interested in sitting and going to a church, um, that's where they're like, no, you can't do that. That's a place of Avodazara. So we have uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein, who talks about this. He talks about even the art. He says, you know, the only reason they had the art was to draw people into the building, to try to draw you closer to this faith. So, like, even if it's just for the art, it's still no go, no good. Um Rabovadia and Yechavadat similarly is sort of talks about how, you know, there's no, you know, and, and what Rabovadia adds that I think is um, 
is interesting is, is this matter of like tours, right? Because Rav Avadi is in Israel and saying, you know, it's responsibility of tour guides to be very careful about this matter. They should not stumble nor cause others who are visiting Israel to stumble by bringing them into churches. You know, it's bringing a stumbling block before the blind. Um, so those are just a couple of sources related to that. But you, you don't really have a – the question about the Jews of Spain is, is in, an interesting one because – okay, so Jews hidden in churches during the Holocaust is one question, and that seems to be totally okay. Because if you're in a church for safety purposes, you're good. That's okay. There was actually, I mean, what didn't relate exactly to this, but when I lived in, um, in Manhattan in Washington Heights, there was someone who had fled to a church. She was you know, an undocumented immigrant and sort of claimed asylum in a church. And she lived in that church for like, with two kids for like months because she was afraid of, you know, there was like an ice raid or whatever, you know, and so... So she like claimed asylum in this church and that, you know, and she was sort of safe there. So yeah, if you're going into a church for safety, totally fine. You're right. Everyone says that's fine. Um, the issue is if you're going for pleasure you're going just to check it out, going to support a friend, um, these kinds of things. Um, right. If you're pretending, and this Renee talks about what I was sort of t- touching on a little earlier, right. If you're going to a church to pretend to be Christian, so as to not, you know, get you know be found out and killed also sort of a different question than you know azaria just going to a poetry reading church i don't know what she cooked tonight is it okay to tour churches just for the uh, physical attraction so Rabobadi would say no you right i think right that entering into a church even if it's not when people are praying and you're not entering into the sanctuary you're just entering into the you know the external build part of the building and so forth Generally, they would say no. Again, this is different. So, memorial service, great question. I would again. At some point, no. I'm also going to speak, and I think that this I will know. be. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway. I just think that there will be different. There will be different answers to these questions than the ones that you'll. Right, but mine are the right ones. So. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so right, sanctuary space. Right. Yeah. Um, so so lots of things about churches and asylum and that sort of its own thing but separate from visiting because it's pretty or because it's historic or um and so forth i see norman's questions should i should we take the people who have raised hands and then you want to talk about my shots yeah um, yeah take your dad and then debbie and steve and then i can we can keep going okay padre so you mentioned that it's okay to go into a church for safety Mm -hmm. but Aren't we taught that you can violate any of the mitzvot um, in order to save your life, except for three, and one of those three having to do with Avodah Zara? Good. Yes. Very good point. I was I was also thinking that. So right. So I think that's why the question arises is right when you when we say the big three things that you know you're supposed to die rather than you know, do, one of them is Avodazara. However, it talks about in this case, and this might be a difference with like the conversion, like the sort of secret Jews versus like if you're physically just going into a church because there's a mob outside and there's, you want to enter a fortified building, which happens to be a church, right? Like you're not praying, you're not bowing, you're not doing anything like that. You're just entering the space. So you're not actually doing a bodhisattva. You're just entering a Nakoma bodhisattva, which is a less stringent prohibition. But isn't that the same about you going to a clergy meeting? Yeah, which, again, I said it's a less stringent prohibition. Right. I didn't say okay. there's no prohibition. It's just a less. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, Debbie and Steve. So my family in Australia is Chabad, and they would not step foot in a reform or a conservative synagogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is how Rabbi Pernick and I have had this conversation before. So I will let him answer the question. Yeah, you don't want to answer it? Well, people are going to like my response better. So you should go first and then I'll follow up. (laughs) Um, So, so like Rav Moshe Feinstein, for example, is very similar in, right, his his writings about non-Orthodox synagogues. He doesn't like describe them as churches, but it's the similar, the you know, similar conversation about entering into a place, even being on the road to a place that is, um, right? That that's you know a, a he wouldn't call it a vodazara. He might call it minut, like heresy. Um, but it's but actually in in the in the Gemara, in one place it talks about minut, it talks about heresy, and in a different it talks about a place where there's idols. So they both sort of appear. So, yeah, so like Rav Moshe would say, similarly, the questions that I've looked at from Rav Moshe had dealt more with setting up a minion in a, like an Orthodox minion in a non-Orthodox shul or in a shul where there is also a non-Orthodox minion and so forth. And he is pretty strongly opposed because he said people might not, and people won't know, and, you know, you're going to lead people astray. They're going to walk down the hall to use the bathroom and see that the rabbi is giving a drasha and go check it out, you know. So he's he's uh, very opposed. So yeah. So there's and a lot of people, a lot of Orthodox people, will not enter into a non-Orthodox synagogue. Similarly, though, I don't think they would say it's like the same type of prohibition, um, but they similarly would not enter um, for similar reasons related to like suspicion, chasha that you know people people might think that you're going there to pray, and so you know yeah. So that's definitely a thing. Definitely a thing, Eileen. You're muted. Uh, you're still muted. I mean. What happened when Beth Israel shared with Gates of Prayer? Great question. <laughs> right. Um, right. So I think questions about are my synagogue after Hurricane Katrina was housed in Air Force Synagogue. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, the reason why I know those response of Rav Moshe is because I was doing research into the question about right when I was working in Durham, North Carolina, and when I was working in Maine, I was working for Orthodox minions that were being housed in non-Orthodox synagogues, right? So um, in Maine, it was, we closed the Shoal building and then and moved. And then in Durham, it was, um, it was like had been set up that way of two Shoals in one building for a long time. So um, yeah, so that's why I know those, those sources. And again, Rav Moshe is pretty clearly opposed to it, but um, but there's other opinions that say it's okay. It's sort of like we're all on the same team. Um, it's a different time. Basically, and I mentioned this a little earlier, Rav Moshe is writing these two vote in the 1960s and 70s. Um, the 1960s and 70s. Um, I think you're That's the food. Right? That's the food, yeah. Um, the 1960s and 70s were just sort of a different time as far as conservative Judaism particularly, um, where that was sort of like the hip in form of Judaism. And there was like a real fear among Orthodox Jews that people are going to go to, right? Also, most people who were going to conserve or many people going to conservative synagogues were like yeshiva educated. And this was sort of like 
the new way of Judaism where men and women sit together and all of this. And so it was, he was responding to a moment and responding very polemically, but because of sort of the, the realia at the time, um, which is just a different realia today, right? Um, I know we have many members of <laughs> conservative shows here, but like, no one that I know is saying like the conservative movement is on the rise. It is like, that's where everyone in the world wants to be. Like, it's just, it's the world is just different. Um, and like American Judaism is just different. So what sort of what he, his polemicizing was very much in response to what he was seeing at the time, which I think might be different nowadays, given the different facts on the ground. Okay. Can I trust right, you now have, you can go have dinner. Speak. I'm going to take a step. You can, you can go eat. I'm sure that Jason will enjoy your company. I'll, yeah. I'll take over. Um, okay. There's a, there's a lot here. So first of all, I'll just start with my own background in all of this. Um, I have never traveled somewhere and not visited a church. Um, my father mm-hmm. happens to love church architecture and thinks that they're quite beautiful. And so anytime we've gone anywhere, we always visit very old churches. Um, and because I'm a singer, I've also sung in many churches, uh, not in church choirs, but they have really good acoustics. And so a lot of my choir performances um, in like professional choirs, my choir performances were in church settings and church buildings. So I've been in lots of churches. Um, I happen to really like visiting churches. As I said before, I think they are quite beautiful. I think they say a lot about um, the way in which we also have built synagogues over time, just the different types of beauty that you see in spiritual homes. Um, and I love just the, the way that, that sound sounds, <laughs> um, the acoustics of a church, I think are really incredible. That being said, um, I have never been to a church service. So I've never sung like in a mass. I've never been to a wedding in a church. I've never even been in a church while a service was going on. So anytime I've been in a church, it has been to appreciate the beauty and the art and all of those kinds of things or the art being made in the church but I've never actually been to a service. I don't know if that comes from my upbringing or, and whether or not that was influenced by the sources that Rabbi Parnick just brought up. Um, I definitely don't think that if I brought my parents onto this call, they would be able to cite those sources um, or say that that's the reason why, but I think they just didn't feel like it was something that we needed to see or be part of as Jewish kids growing up in Los Angeles. It just wasn't, um, it wasn't part of, of the way that they exposed. And we went to Jewish day school. So it wasn't part of our exposure um, growing up. When I was in high school, we were on a trip to New York. And I was very close, still am very close with my choir director. And his wife had been going through a very tough pregnancy. He himself is, is not Jewish, but he's also not really anything um, and we went into St. Patrick's Cathedral, which those of you who have not visited, you should definitely visit. No matter what this class teaches you, it is a beautiful, beautiful cathedral. Right, Parnish is going to continue eating dinner. Um, and the, it just, it's really, it's just gorgeous. Anyway, so we, we walked around a bunch of Jewish high school kids, walked around this cathedral and 
our choir director at a certain point just sat down in the pews. I don't remember if he kneeled or not, but he sat down in the pews and started to pray uh, because his wife was going through this really tough pregnancy. And we were just in a space of, it was a spiritual home or in a, could have been any kind of chapel. He felt a connection. And I remember sitting there and watching him and thinking like that, that is a godly moment. Um, and not because we were in a church and not because we were, could have been in a sanctuary. It didn't matter whether or not it was a religion that I associated with, or I have no idea what he even said, but because I knew why he was praying and because I saw the way in which he was connected to prayer in that space, I was really taken with what just spiritual spaces can do for anybody. So part of this conversation, though I agree with some of what Rabbi Parnik is saying in terms of living in a time where you might be influenced by the beauty around you, or I mean, my, my father, who's a professional musician, definitely has been influenced by beautiful Christian music. I mean, it's, it's gorgeous and it's better than a lot of Jewish music. And I would fight that with anybody. Um, and so, so you can be influenced by it for sure. However, I wouldn't go as far to say that if you are someone who, like myself, feels very rooted in your religion and in your beliefs, that me walking into a church to appreciate the beauty, appreciate the music, appreciate the culture, that anything's happening to me, other than just appreciating that there are other religions and other ways of experiencing spirituality. So when it comes to the questions of go, are you sharing your screen on purpose? Are you yeah. cutting me off? You're cutting no, me off. Go ahead. I thought you were done. Okay, well then stop sharing your screen. While while you're while you're talking, people can read the Elliot Liver. No, can, no. He agrees with That's you. That's the teaching it's version of Ramp It Up Music. He he agrees with you though. That's why I should. Okay, but I, okay, okay. All right. Um uh anyway, so what people <laughs> people were saying, this is very distracting. What people were saying, thank you. Um, before about going for a wedding or going for like a memorial service or something, I think it just has to be a gut check. I think it has to be something that for me, that wouldn't be something I I would choose. I, first of all, I'm not allowed to go to a non-Jewish wedding. That's a whole nother conversation for the time. Um, but I wouldn't choose to go to a service or choose to enter myself into a space where something might be happening that would, that would require me to feel like like I was practicing another religion. That doesn't mean that that's the right way for everybody. There are many families that are blended families. There are many families for which many of the life cycles that will take place will take place in a church and not in a, in a synagogue. And so you have to decide for yourself. Again, this isn't halacha. This is me, Rebecca Schatz, just sharing my own opinion. But that you that you should decide whether or not it is worth it for you to be in a church for those kinds of moments, or if it takes something away from your Judaism and your Jewish identity to be in those spaces. I would posit that in the 21st century, most people would choose to go because that would be honoring their family and being part of that experience. Um, And there are others who would say, no, I just would feel too uncomfortable. So the halacha would be, don't go. You shouldn't be in those spaces while those kinds of um, experiences are happening. And I think just like with a lot of the things that we've discussed in this class, there's also 
there's also room for all of us to think about ways in which we would be honoring our family or honoring our friends or whatever by being at least part of those moments. Um, okay, Rai Pranik, it seems like you had something that you wanted to share or say. Um, I th- I was just going to share briefly that for the Eliezer Berkovitz, who he taught at JTS, was that right? Or, I didn't go. I didn't go to JTS. No. Well, whatever. Eliezer Berkovitz, who was like a you know a, a you know big rabbi, um, kind of proto-conservative, conservative-ish. But his, but his point was basically similar about, he says like, no one's tempted, no Jew, I mean, and this is not necessarily exact Jew, but basically like, oh, it says, it's only a tiny minority of Jews find any value in Christianity. Um, for example, the terrible group Jews for Jesus in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, says, Jews today are not influenced at all from the glory and the icons in the churches. Um, right, so he, so he would basically argue along with with kind of what Rabbi Shatz is saying, like, like no one's being tempted. No one's tempted to become Christian. So, like, eh, if you're tempted to be Christ- to become Christian, don't go. But like, if that's not, if you're not tempted to become Christian, which is the vast majority of people, you got nothing to worry about. That's uh, that's the Eliezer Berkowitz approach. But again, that's not the one that's typically followed. Um, okay, Terrell and then Rachel. Okay, so as a convert since January, coming from a Christian background with a pastor father. I have a different perspective on this. Um, For me right now, I'm actually trying to go through all of my old Christian materials, trying to say, what can I get rid of? Being also I'm a librarian, so I'm a hoarder of information. A lot of the preaching, so I'm trying to go to friends, was like a lot of the worship albums are very hard because they're very good singing. And a lot of them, when they aren't talking about Jesus, talk about God, I still connect to those. But for going to church, for me at this point, is much more of an infuriating situation because I know theology and I know when I go in there and I'm like, and they're saying things about sin or the need of Jesus. I'm just like, I'm like, no, and this is ticking me off. So for me, as a person who came from that, who's deeply immersed in it, well, also, it's also much more personal because even though I converted, I still have a, there will always be a spot in my heart for Christianity. That's huh? never going to go away. So yeah. I believe in, like, I still appreciate the beauty of it and the people and the religion, even though I'm not in it, but just going to a church for me, it was a service is much more personal and for much more hard. Yeah, it's that, that's such a beautiful point and it's such a, it's like a, a very big point that we could talk about in all different directions, right? When you're so connected to something, you, you feel it differently and you, on the one hand, you appreciate its beauty probably in a different way. And you also have a much easier time criticizing it because you feel closer to it and deeper for it. Whereas if I go to a church service, I can find beauty in it and the things that I don't necessarily agree with, I just kind of let, let those roll off my shoulders because there's no deep connection. But what you're sharing is really beautiful and, and something that um, I am sure other conversion students have thought about and have probably wrestled with as well in terms of what is it that you hold on to in terms of that beauty and what things are also going to constantly permeate your own religious identity, no matter what that religion is, right? And how how you're going to be able to, to live uh balancing, I'll say, instead of juggling um, those things within you. Yeah. It's also, I would say it's never just faith also, you know, with 
you know, right. Morel and I talked a lot, you know, when his, you know, his grandmother passed away and sort of like, right, you're always, you're dealing with family pieces also and how it's, it's rarely just purely like a church and that like faith experience, like what happens when you know there's going to be a religious service, but it's related to someone who you yeah. care, you know, care deeply about and you're, you, it might be infuriating, but it's all right, like, there's so many overlapping layers of a lot yep. of these complications, you know, it's, which makes it really hard. Uh, Rachel. I'm stunned that conservative rabbis are not supposed to attend weddings of two Christians marrying each other. So it's, it, it just, I just see no rationale for it at all. And if indeed it's a sin, it's guilty, 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 because I love celebrating mixed marriages are hard, but when two Christians marry each other, it's no more difficult emotionally than two Jews marrying each other. Let me just, let me just clarify, because clearly I wasn't, I wasn't clear. So let me just be clear in a church as part of a mass. If two Christians are getting married on the beach in Honolulu, I can show up um, as just a human, right? There's, I can't officiate <laughs> and they probably wouldn't want me to officiate, but I, I can be there. I can be in the vicinity of it. But in terms of being present in a church service for two non-Jews, all the more so an intermarried couple, that's where I cannot be though intermarriage as judy pointed out now conservative rabbis can and many won't even though this was passed um conservative rabbis can be present but cannot yet officiate so Um, sorry i wasn't clear about that yeah it's uh there are so many wrinkles um that I I can only kind of tell personal stories. Um, My daughter-in-law's brother married a woman who wasn't Jewish. They've agreed their children are being raised Jewish. Now, she did not convert, but the children are supposed to convert when they're older. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the agreement that the couple worked out. Mm -hmm. My brother has been married two times. The first time was to a woman who was not Jewish, second time to a woman who is Jewish. So it's like I have nieces that are not Jewish and I have nieces that are Jewish. Yeah. Um, It's, uh, I mean, in both of those cases, I'm raising issues of intermarriage. Yeah, it's right. not the same as two Christians marrying each other. Right. But certainly I have been in a church on many occasions. I have never attempted to portray myself as a believer. Yeah. I've yeah. always and just sat in the back and watched. Yeah. And I'll I'll just say, by the way, unlike Rabbi Shots, like I've been to many church services, right? And like 
I, you know, and I enjoyed going, like when, you know, when I was in college, I was involved in interfaith work. Like, so frequently, and like with sociology of religion, like we had to go to churches and, you know, so um, I, I have been in church services of different denominations and things. So it's not like, oh, this is a thing that I've never done. Like, I, and I can appreciate the spiritual, you know, vibrancy and the, you know, like the, the spiritual uplifting nature of, of being in a church. Like I've been in churches before. Um, I just one yeah, of those things. I, that, I, I, know, I kind of feel just, as long as I'm not misrepresenting myself. Right. Totally. That, that, it, that it becomes a non-issue. My mother told me when I was a teenager at some point that one of the most interesting things she'd ever done was go to a Catholic midnight mass on Christmas. Yeah. So I made it a point to go once or twice just to kind of see what she was raving about. I did not find it at all spiritually transformational, but it's kind of cool as pageantry, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Okay. Yuri, I know I said the hand up for a while. Um, I just have a question, like a Haleka question about um, a comment that was made earlier um, about uh, not being able to go into like a reform or conservative uh, shul. Is that, so is it Halekically permissible to do that if you're um, practicing as an Orthodox, like Jewish person? Um, So uh, again, it's, I would say yes. It's one of these things that's. Wait, you um, would say yes? Is it permissible? Yeah, you would say yes. To go into a reformer conservative synagogue? You, yeah, yes. I would say it's permissible to go into a reformer conservative synagogue, yes. Oh, great. <laughs> I mean, now you have issues if there's. I, would I say it's permissible? to pray as part of that minion. And so like that, those are different questions, but to enter into it. That's actually the question. So like, so like if, so if you're like practicing as an Orthodox Jewish person, then you can't go into um, like, then you can't do the same thing in a conservative shul. So I would not pray in a minion where there's not a mechitza and where there's mixed seating and where, you know, and so on. Um, so I will, I have been in such services and I've sat in the service with people who are praying there and then have prayed separately afterwards or beforehand, um, but would not actually like daven in such a minion. Is it a halakhic rule or is that just like, because I'm just trying to find out if like, like if it's like a, like a rule or if it's like a personal thing, like preference. Um, it's... I mean, I, I think lots of people would say it's halachic. Like, it, that, that, like you, you know, you can only dive, right, for orthodox, you know, if you're orthodox, then you can only dive in a minion that's an, or, you know, a halachic minion by orthodox standards. Well, what happens right? if, if you never will be able to count in that minion? That's, that's so, so I, many, or, you know, right, from many women, you just never count in that minion, right? So that's... Yeah. Can you just clarify, can I, I, I think, I think, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that, that part of what, what the conversation that's kind of going back and forth here mm-hmm. is that 
you, Rabbi Josh Pernick, are not going to daven in a space where the davening is different than the davening that you would want to be having, whether that's mixed seating or instruments or a female leading parts of the service that you wouldn't want a female leading, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's not the fact that it's a conservative or a reform synagogue. It's the type of davening that's happening. Is yeah. that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So in terms of the halacha of you going, if I'm just going to keep on picking on him because I can, if Rabbi Pernick were comfortable as an Orthodox man, which I am not to the entire world on a podcast saying that he is, but if he were comfortable as an Orthodox man going into a conservative synagogue where I, a conservative rabbi and a female would be leading a part of the service, it would be okay for him to be in the space. Right. So it's not about it's not about the space itself. So going as an Orthodox Jew into a conservative, we I'll give you an example. This um, Tisha B'Av, we always come together with two other communities in Los Angeles, one modern Orthodox and one that's kind of post-denominational. That is that is run by conservative and modern Orthodox rabbis, but um, kind of a catch all community on campus. So at a conservative shul. There will be a modern Orthodox mechitza minion and a conservative minion happening feet away from one another. I mean, not in different spaces, not on different campuses. And the modern Orthodox rabbi is davening in his minion, but still on our campus. So it has. We're going to have the same thing also Saturday. But you're doing Saturday night. Sure. So that, so that is, I think, I just want to make sure that's clear because it's not about the space, which right before we were talking about space but it's much more about the prayer practice that's happening. So if you're comfortable with the prayer happening in a conservative synagogue, halachically, you can go from an Orthodox synagogue to a conservative synagogue and daven there. Okay, I was just like kind of confused. I, I, I thought I was doing everything. I thought I was doing something like part of it wrong. Because like on Fridays, I do go to Beth Israel, but on Saturdays, I go to Shira Dash. And so I just was like, oh no. If I, you feel comfortable with the davening that's happening at Shira Dash, you're doing nothing wrong. Right. And we can touch base offline also, Yuri, about, about that. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think, right. So for me personally, as Rabbi Shai, right now, there's three different, three different things. One thing is entering into a synagogue. So as we touched on, some Orthodox Jews will not enter into a non-Orthodox synagogue. Separately, there is sitting in a synagogue where there is a service taking place. And separately from that is praying as part of that, you know, as part of that minion. Right. So those are three different things where different people draw their lines in different places. I, who tend to be on the stricter side when it comes to, or not, whatever, I'm moderately strict when it comes to churches. Um, that, but I'm also very lenient when it comes to synagogues that I will sit in a, if there's not instruments and so, so forth, like I'll sit in a non, not that this happens frequently, but I you know, have had an occasion to sit in a non-Orthodox your dad does happen to be a pulpit reform rabbi, so. Right, but often the services, when I've been to services there, it's often because it's before it's actually Shabbat for, you know, candlelighting time, so it's been able to, you know. But um, yeah, no, but it, in other settings also, like I've sat in at conservative and reform services if there's not instruments and so forth. Um, they're just not davened. And like sort of, not like aggressively, but sort of like didn't pretend to be davening. Like it was, it was sort of, be there really you know um because there is that concern of like you don't want people to think something different than what is actually happening 
you know. So that's, yeah. A modern orthodox person can totally go to a minion at Chabad. No problem. I mean, just like I can go to a minion at Chabad. Some people would say there's a problem, but that's got to, you know. Some people don't like about right. Comment about churches. Yeah, Um, I would definitely advise anyone who's Jewish who's not really educated in their Judaism and not really like like really understanding to not go to an evangelical church. I know y'all make kind of masses. Catholic is one kind of branch, but if you ever go to a one of the big churches you see on TV or one of the big Christian churches you'll see in your town, they will, if you're not really knowing your faith and knowing Talmud in the, in the, in the Torah, they will easily get you when talking of, have you been hurt? Are you lonely? Jesus is the way, just open your heart up and it's easy to get caught up. And that's why, that's how they attract a lot of, unlearned Jews to convert is so I would definitely not suggest going to evangelical church. The ones that are very emotional, very charismatic because it's easy to get caught up. And I would say just as for argument's sake, I would say that if you're interested in something, you should check it out. Um, not well, I because, totally support that as well. Yeah. Not, be, not because you're going to, not because I want you to leave your faith or anything like that. But I think a big part of education is experiencing things and, if you don't experience a service or you don't experience something that you are interested in seeing, um, you're missing out on potentially learning about something that could impact your own your own life and your own spirituality. Um, so I agree with you. Maybe not spend all of your time in places that could be more influential, but but definitely if you are interested in what's going on, I was a student teacher in Bedford, Indiana for a year when I was getting my bachelor in choral music education. And I had no idea that people went to church on days other than Sundays, right? Because growing up in Los Angeles, uh, in a predominantly Jewish bubble, I didn't recognize that in, at least in that town, Wednesday was like a very big day for people to go to church as well. And we had to end school early and I taught the kids Christmas carols around Christmas. You know, that it was a, it was a big part of their culture. And had I not looked into those pieces of them, I wouldn't have been a good teacher because I wouldn't have understood who they were either. So I, I totally agree with you. And and just to to add that little piece that I think uh, experiencing is also important. Uh, Denise and then Rabbi Parnik. So I'm just wondering, like, in these different rules about about both parts, about going into churches with or without a service and then going into like a different denomination, like how much, how much of this stuff is about, we want to make sure that our crowd thinks that we are right. And like, like how much of it is about that for each side, for each group. Yeah. That way. It's like an interesting question. I don't actually I don't actually know if it's so much about that. I mean, you heard Rai Pernick and I teasing each other about who was right. You know, I think that there are elements of of kind of standing your ground when you believe that that's the right way of doing something. And when, and when Rabbi Pernick says, but I'm right, I mean, he he believes that he's right. He's not just saying that to, to you know, get my goat. But I I I don't know that it's so much a hesitancy around... Um, 
around being being proven wrong or somehow being seen as less correct, uh, but rather more so just preservation of your own customs and your own rituals is my guess. I, that's a complete guess. I've, I don't actually know. I don't know if Rabbi Pernick knows, but. So, I mean, I think a lot goes back to this, like what we talked about with attraction um, that like, it's, I think it's less the feel it's less like being like, I'm right and they're wrong. And it's more that, that like fear of being, you know, kind of what Terrell was talking about, like swept up in a sort of a charismatic or, a, you know, a, some, you know, a, the, an experience, right? Like traditional davening is very, it's, it's davening, you know, in most places it's, it's right. And some of the other, um, you know, movements. And so, you know, it's sort of, it's, a, there's music and there's choirs and there's live bands and like, right. The, so I think there's a lot of the concern. It's less like, Oh, you're going to see that reform is right. And we've been trying to teach you that orthodoxy is right. And it's more like, we're afraid that you're just going to be, uh, you know, the, you're going to be attracted to it by sort of the shiny things, which is a lot of what the sources talk about the art, the, you know, the things, the music, these things that are going to draw you in, and then you'll end up um, seduced. Thank you, father. Um, that you'll sort of be, he privately chatted me on. Yeah. Like essentially you'll be seduced into this. Um, whereas again, I think that's a difference with the, where we are in modern Jewish life. And that like, I don't yes. think any of, I mean, I think people would complain about Chabad being seductive. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Don't, don't definitely talk about reform conservative or modern Orthodox synagogues being seductive in the same way, you know? And, and I would, and, and then your dad can speak. Um, and I would say that put, like Kiruv organizations like Chabad or Aish or any of those, as someone who was very involved with Aish, like part of, part of being involved in, in, in being attracted to those shiny things, as Debbie said, um, that you, you might see something that is attractive, but if you, this is going back to Rachel's point, if you are sure in your own identity, which you aren't always when you're in college, but if you are sure about your own identity and where you come from and what you want to go back to, appreciating the shiny things to bring them back into your own identity is totally fine. Um, there's a lot that I learned by being involved in the H movement that I still very much bring into my own Judaism today. And I'm by no means involved in H. So I think that it's, it's really all about having level footing and being able to say, I'm going to experience this without being swept up or seduced by something else. Um, and if you don't feel like you have that rooted identity, then it might be a harder topic. Uh, Rabbi Dan Pernick and then Rachel. So just very briefly, I agree with everything that you just said. <clears throat> and you know, when I was getting ready to go to rabbinical school, I worked in my dad's insurance agency with a lovely woman who was Pentecostal, and she invited me to go to one of their services. I was also a sociology major. So I'm getting ready to go to rabbinical school. I'm a sociology major. And it was fascinating. But I knew, and I was very well grounded. I mean, I was not going to get swept up in the people speaking in tongues or things like that. But as Terrell said before, I think very um, wisely that if somebody is not that solidly, uh, you know, entrenched where they are, you know, that's why if you take a look, for example, especially at Christmas and Christmas music and all of that, I mean, it's beautiful and all of that. It's very easy to get swept up in a lot of that. And of course, the one thing that we really 
didn't mention, but the Torah mentions a lot in the Tanakh is the, I mean, the language that they will use in the, in the Tanakh is the foreign women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, stay away from the women because they will lead you to their gods because you're going to develop, you know, a relationship for the women. So therefore, you know, one leads to the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leads to mixed dancing, they would say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jason would agree with that. You can ask Jason. He would agree with yeah, that. He would definitely agree with that. But Rachel. Sue Ray, Sue Ray's had her hand up for a while, just not oh. physically on the screen. So it was Sue Ray and then Rachel. I just want to, when you oh. were talking about age, um, Rabbi Schatz, yeah. I am particularly curious in groups like Chabad and Aish that really recruit college students, how much variation there is from one cluster to another cluster. Um, The kids that go to college, the kids who've been through day school their whole lives in Los Angeles and go to colleges where the Hillel is directed towards those who went to reform Hebrew school, reform movement, religious school, and don't have the same deep background, Mm -hmm. often end up at Chabad. Mm -hmm. Um, But my son, who Rabbi Schatz knows, because he's a conservative rabbi, um, was attempted to be recruited by Aish at UCLA and was totally turned off when he realized that the reason Aish was welcoming to women was because if attractive women hung out at Aish, that would bring in the men. And it was really the men that the movement wanted to send them to, uh, to Colo. And he just, when he figured that out, he just wanted nothing to do with it. And yeah. I thought, given what you're saying about your experience in college with Aish and his experience, how much of it depends on who's in charge at one location? Yeah, totally. It's a great question. And it's a question I've answered a lot. I've never heard the women piece, which I'm going to just take and just deal with in my own psyche. Um, But, uh, but I'm going to let Sue Ray ask her question. And then I'll come back to that. I I have a response, but I'll let Sue Ray speak first. Okay, I was just going to say I was brought up in a very small town in Mississippi, where I was the only Jewish girl. There were two cousins uh, that were guys that their fathers were Jewish, their mothers were not. So they would go with their father for holidays to the synagogue and their mothers to church. Uh, I knew I was Jewish. Um, My parents drove me 70 miles every Sunday to Sunday school and for Friday night services So I knew I was Jewish, but I'm lucky there was no anti-Semitism with my friends. I went with them to church. They went to my synagogue for my confirmation. I had two rows 
of friends that drove for confirmation. And I think for me, it's all part of education. Totally. And for one to know about each other's religion. Mm -hmm. And so I never had a problem. My mother lit candles every Friday night. Mm -hmm. We came to New Orleans every year for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to Mm -hmm. Beth Israel. So, I mean, I knew I was Jewish, but yet I could go to a church to be with my friends, not praying, but for them to see that I could go there and that they would come for Christmas. I would go to my friends to see their tree. They would come to my house when I would light, you know, the menorah Mm -hmm. and all of that. And as I said, they would have never known had we not intermingled and known about each other's religion, which was very beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the, it's one of the reasons I, at least here in Los Angeles, a lot um, for parents sending their kids to Jewish day school only until eighth grade, and then having their kids go to public school for high school, because they want their kids to be exposed. I I did not do that. I went preschool through 12th grade at Jewish day school, but to have, to have the exposure to other religions and other cultures and other ethnicities. And by the way, the fact that your parents drove you for all that Judaism, that just speaks to our class last time on how you should drive to get to your Judaism, because you are able to really see you are, I, I just appreciate saying things that I know are just making right parting's blood boil. Um, you're you're able to to say like your Judaism was very much so a part of your identity, even if there were elements all around you that were kind of pushing you to to potentially either do something else or have life be easier and not do it at all. Um, so I I totally agree, and I think there's a lot of. Um, a merit and a lot of, as you said, education to, to having those interfaith, um, <laughs> to, have, um, to those interfaith interactions, because then you know a little bit about all the other people who are around you and all the other people who are celebrating different things around you and living amongst you and, some would even say that provides for more peace than war uh, and all those kinds of things. I think that's all very true. And in somewhat of a response to Rachel, though, I'm happy to, uh, to talk more about this offline. I think one of the, um, one of the, I can't even have this chat open. It's just distracting me. Okay. Um, I think one of the, one of the elements of, um, of this kind of exposure to other religions also lives within the Jewish movements, right? I grew up very much so rooted in the conservative movement. And I have always, always been infatuated with the different elements of orthodoxy. Um, I think that's part of the reason that I did Aish. I think Aish and Chabad on campuses are also sometimes, depending on what campus you're on, sometimes feel more like home, even if the Judaism doesn't look the same, because you're literally going to a home for Shabbat dinner, or you're being fed by a mom and a dad. And that's very different than picking up your food from, you know, the the Hillel counter, um, and sitting with your friends at a table. So I think that those are those are certainly elements of that. And, and yeah, sometimes it has to do with how 
how rooted you were in your Judaism, but not always as a negative. I think that the fact that I was so exposed to Judaism in um, in my upbringing made me want to experience even more in college to see kind of where I landed in between. Um, obviously, there are the opposites, right? That people people go way off the deep end. Um, what if experience one way or the other, right? They might have grown up Orthodox and then decide no secular Judy, secular identity, not even Judaism is, is more for me. So again, happy to talk more about that offline. But I do think that even though we're talking about different religions, you can also see it within your own religion, um, Judaism, Christianity, right? It's, it's within the religions as well that people are trying to experience um, different parts of it. Any last words about how right I was and everything I said this evening? Ask Jason. Ask Jason to be the tiebreaker. Uh, on which question? The topic? Did you go into a church? Go to church. Um, generally not, but it might depend. Generally not, but it might depend, he said. Um, <laughs> I was actually having this conversation with uh, Michael as a co- I was going to say, I was having this conversation with um, Yehuda Glick, when he, when he called me, you know, I mentioned last night, because he's going to speak in a church. And I said, oh, I'm actually giving a, you know, I'm talking tomorrow about speaking in churches. And he, and he actually made a comment that he was debating between spending Shabbat here in New Orleans or spending it in a conservative synagogue in Mobile, Alabama. And he sort of, he was like, well, I mean, if I'm going to speak in a church on Sunday, then I guess there's no problem with going to a, you know, conservative synagogue in Mobile on, on you know, for Shabbat kind of. So there. That was not the way to end this class (laughs) just a thing to say you can cut that part out of the recording no i'm not going to take the time to cut it out you said it okay michael very quickly we've now gone two weeks without even a different topic even mentioning how hodaya has treated the institution of marriage her breakup that's true at least true comment from one of you i mean maybe not tonight, but it's a good thing for us to discuss, meaning it's already pretty late, but um, I don't know, but, but um, it is Some definitely... Point. Not, it doesn't have to be tonight. Yeah. She looks pregnant. Uh-huh. I'm not sure that her looking <laughs> pregnant... We'll just leave that to the side. Um, but I... Yes, I can talk about that next week. While Josh is witnessing his brother get married, I am happy to talk about marriage. How does that sound? I want to invite all of you to come to church with me on Sunday. We're going to have a great time in Jesus. <laughs> How okay. many episodes for next week? So just one, yeah, just one episode. Rai Parnik, his meeting got canceled. That's why we didn't do two episodes and start later. So th- when he's back from Israel and when we have to um, start a little bit later, we will do two. But for next week, it's just episode eight, season three. And that's and that. Just- You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.